You've seen other films by this filmmaker. Oh. We've discussed this at length and I am kind of surprised. I have been shocked before at movies you have seen and mm -hmm. I am shocked that you have not seen this one. Huh. Um, this is from the brilliant, one of the finest cinematic minds, let alone comedic minds of our day. Uh, the genius they? that brought us Baby Driver and The World's End and oh. Hot Fuzz. Okay. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, okay, I know what we're gonna, yep, yep. Lay it on me. Kay, have you seen Shaun of the Dead? Do you ever think modern life is not for you? Do you do the same dead-end job every day? There's no I in team, but there is an I in pie. In There's an I in meat pie. So the anagram of meat is team. I don't know. Is your love life dying on its feet? To a wonderful mom. <laughs> oh. Have you ever felt that you're turning into a zombie? In a time, although no one is prepared to comment, religious groups are calling it Judgment Day. Crisis. It is vital that you stay in your home. A hero must rise. Avoid all contact with the assailants. From his sofa. <laughs> Actors can be stopped by removing the head or destroying the brain. Look for the head. Oh, the biggest zombie comedy in British history is invading America. I'm coming! And if you're looking for a man... I've never taken a shortcut before. ...with the right moves... <gasps> nice, good vocal work. Let's all try it together, shall we? One, two... Lines. The only thing that will redeem mankind is cooperation. Good luck! And the right partner. Ed! Two seconds. Yes. And hold it there. Don't. Oh, sorry. Call. Sean. Oi! Sean. Oh. husband, you know. I still love him. I've still got the ring on my finger. You go to bed with it? Welcome back to K Have You Seen, the podcast that encourages you to make your friends watch the movies that you like. I'm Kyle. I'm Gari. And thank you so much for joining us. Uh, before we get started, just a quick reminder that if you like what you hear on this podcast, please subscribe, uh, rate and review us, and be sure that you follow us on Facebook and Instagram for the latest updates on all things K Have You Seen. Kari, how are you today? I'm doing great. Great. I'm alive, you know, well, <laughs> my family's all here. No one has had to kill any of them. Good, good. Excellent. It's the here last on this planet, like. they're not here currently. Not here presently Although, in the studio. They're probably listening to us right now, so. They're with us. We are yeah. with them. Yeah. We are with them more than they are with it's us right now. It's more of a one-way relationship right now, <laughs> but, you know. Haven't had to kill him, that's the important part. Well, that's good, that's good. Well, today we are talking about 2004's Shaun of the Dead, one of my all-time favorites, a movie that I mentioned last episode. I'm shocked you have not seen this film, but I am also delighted that you have not seen this film. I'm also shocked. I don't know how it slipped, I don't know how it slipped by. Quite honestly, I have no idea, but mm -hmm. 
sure we'll talk about well, it. Well, your, uh, your loss is my gain in this particular instance, but... Uh, it always is, every episode. <laughs> every other episode. Of course, of course. So, um, since this was your first time watching this movie, would you grace us with a brief, broad synopsis of the film? Yes, so this is the first of the Wright, Peg, Frost trifecta. Uh, this is, I think, Edgar Wright's first legit film, uh, and it kind of follows the suit of everything that comes after it, but if that's possible. Sets the trend. Sets the trend, that's a better way to say it. Anyway, so Simon Pegg plays Sean, who is kind of an underachiever, uh, living in London. He's got a girlfriend of like three years who's still hasn't met his parents. Relationship's not really going anywhere. He keeps taking her back to the same pub. And I don't know if this was supposed to be weird or not, but all of their friends are also present. <laughs> her two, well, friends slash roommates. Her two roommates, his one roommate, all there present at their, I guess, a date at a pub. But so he's kind of in a dead end job, dead end life, not really going anywhere, not really making moves until uh, zombies, a zombie outbreak breaks out and <laughs> they he has to play the hero and save everyone he loves even after his girlfriend has broken up with him. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, oh, and Nick Frost is his best friend and that's a whole thing too. Of course, yes. Um, the, the synopsis that I found at IMDb, a man decides to turn his moribund life around by winning back his ex-girlfriend reconciling his relationship with his mother and dealing with an entire community that has returned from the dead to eat the living. So, Leave it to IMDb to bring moribund out <laughs> in a Shaun of the Dead synopsis. Yes, this one sentence review really does kind of encapsulate everything, including the way that it's really kind of a story grafted onto a genre, which I find very interesting. We'll talk about that at length here shortly. Um, but before we get into that, what was your first impression? I'm dying to know. I know you've seen other films from this group. Mm -hmm. I'd like to know what you thought of this one um, as a standalone and where it falls with uh, the other films that you're familiar with here. Yeah, so I mean, obviously I've been aware of Shaun of the Dead. I knew what it was. I knew it was kind of the first, it kicked off this whole, almost like this right genre of mm -hmm. film. So I, yeah, familiar with it kind of got the general premise that it's, you know, a zombie spoof movie. Um, and yeah, there were really no surprises with that in <laughs> this movie. I mean, I think it was more emotionally deep than I expected it to be, quite mm -hmm. honestly. And a little less funny also. Oh, interesting. It's, it's not a like laugh out loud movie, kind of like I was expecting. I have, watching this, I kind of wonder if um, Edgar Wright movies are kind of like the high school cast of SNL thing where like the the cast of SNL that is on air when you are in high school is the best cast is the first Edgar Wright film you see the best film like cuz Hot Buzz was definitely my like first mm -hmm. I think it I think it was it's the one that I remember most vividly mm -hmm. knowing that it was an Edgar Wright Simon Pegg like that this was sure. a thing and I love that movie. And I think I probably feel about that movie how a lot of people feel about this one. I personally, I'm, and Shaun of the Dead was my first exposure to this group before mm -hmm. they were really known right. by anyone um, outside of some fans of the obscure uh, British sitcom that they worked on in the 90s. Um, and, uh, but even still, I do think, that I also I think Fuzz that. is my favorite of them mm. as well. That was okay. the first one that I saw after being a fan mm. of this. That's the first one that I saw in the theater. Um, so I'm not sure, I'm not sure. I, I, I don't know that, 
I, I see where your, your theory comes from, and I, I can only speak for myself, that's not the case with me, but I, I do have a great love for this film. Um, my own background with it and where it fits into my life, I think that I saw this first as a video on demand when I was too young to rent R-rated movies from Blockbuster. <laughs> Um, it was very shortly after the U.S. release. I think it was only in theaters here for a very short period of time. Really? Um, because I seem to remember this, seeing it in early high school, but the release was in September of 2004, so I would have been a sophomore in high school at the time. Mm -hmm. um, so I probably saw this in like October or November of that same year, which is strange to think about. Um, but uh, it was something, it became something that my best friend and I really bonded over. Uh, okay. um, I was never obsessed with it in the way that I usually obsess over my favorite movies, but it still stuck in my head. Um, and I was consistently quoting it with people and mentioning it to people over the years, and it became one of those like one of those movies where it's like it similar to the way Napoleon Dynamite was kind of a movie where it's like early on before it became ubiquitous, it was something that like the people that had seen it, you'd you kind of knew uh -huh, there was like okay. a, a cultural shorthand. Yeah. This movie kind of became the same thing. I don't think it ever it never became the phenomenon obviously that Napoleon Dynamite did, but had kind of the same sort of um, it created the same sort of connection between fans. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess maybe Napoleon Dynamite was more widely viewed, but I'm not even sure that's true. I think Shaun of the Dead is, is, I would say it's on the same level, probably. It's just like a movie that kind of everyone has seen. It's not as quotable, so I think it's harder to, there's not as many like signifiers. Now we can, it, we can speak at length about Napoleon Dynamite, but you're a couple years younger than me. When I was in high school, that movie was explosive. It was oh, yeah. everywhere. I mean, middle school picked up on it too. We no were doubt. all over at the Vote for Pedro shirts and we're like, Whatever I want to do, gosh. Like, mm -hmm. all of it. All of it is everywhere. That movie changed yeah. lives. It changed a generation. Sure. So maybe, maybe not quite on the level. But I do think, like, in terms of just movies that you have to see, mm -hmm. especially for a certain generation, ours, I think this is definitely one of them. It's up there. It is definitely up there. And it's, like, it's just running the, it's, it kind of was, like, running the cusp of, like, cult fame and actual renown, oh, you know? Okay, yeah. Um, I think it was made for a budget of about $6 million and made 30 So a uh, high, you know, investment yield, but um, still not a smash hit by any, even by 2004 standards. Um, and, uh, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's always been kind of, like, ever since I first saw it, it's been a really great... Um, um, can, usually if somebody's a fan of Shaun of the Dead, I knew like this person and I are gonna have at least something in common. Uh, we have similar taste in movies. And two years ago, I actually got to see this at the Alamo Draft House Theater in Austin. So shout out to Amanda and Andrew for hooking me up with that. That was great. Um, but yeah, that, I mean, that, that's kind of the long and short of it. And I see this, I watch this movie, I revisit it pretty frequently. I think I watch this movie at least once a year. Okay. At least once a year. And not at any certain time? Not necessarily like Halloween. Like I know I, I brought it in kind of in our Halloween block, but no, it's... Yeah, I can understand that. But um, no, I mean, there's just some times where I'm like, I just really want to watch this. Yeah. Um, and we'll get into more about this in a moment, but like, it's just so dense. There's just so much there. Yeah. It's like every single moment is like precision engineered to be mm -hmm. as, you know, effective and efficient as it can. It's it, it's great. Like this this movie is built like a Ferrari or, or or a Swiss watch. It's just like so like such a high performance machine of a movie. Mm. Um, and that's one of the things I really love about it is that it still just holds up. Like yeah. a lot of times when you revisit a movie, as you get older you kind of see the flaws in it and like kind of these you know the veneer starts to wear off. I don't get that with this movie at all. That I do think I mean I I liked this movie. I enjoyed it. I am not instantly obsessed with it, 
But I think this is probably one of those movies you need to watch like 12 times. And then you're like, oh wait, I've been obsessed with it. Like, I, I think this one really, like you need to see it a lot. And then that's that's when you kind of realize you love it. Yeah. But I liked it. And there, and there are, um, we don't have to get too deep into this. We, we, I mentioned this to you off air, that there are tons of pretty like long form um, analyses and video essays, not about themes with this movie, but yeah. the way it works, like kind of like the skeletal structure of this oh, film, okay. about how like the comic timing is so precise and about how the visual puns and the visual rhyming and all that kind of stuff work. And that's one of the things that I, I really latch onto. The more I learn about like film language, it's not just about the quotable lines or the scenarios or whatever, or these different scenes. It's a lot about how it's executed and how mm. like, the, the humor is enhanced, and also the themes are enhanced, and the character development is enhanced by the way that Edgar Wright handles a camera, the way that the editing is handled, mm. like things that sound like very like hoity-toity, film schooly kind of like who cares subjects, but when you see it in action and you see it demonstrated, it's so clear. It's 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 only subtle because I think most people don't know what they're looking for, and mm -hmm. my, I myself I know more about film than I feel like the average person, but there are still so many things I'm like, oh my God, if someone points it out to me in this film, I'm shocked and again, delighted by like, I can't believe I never noticed that. I've seen this movie 25 times. Um, I guess that's the uh, that's the surprise for me. I didn't realize how much of a like film nerds movie this would be. Mm -hmm. And now that's not kind of what I was reading into it when I watched it. There were certain things that I certainly picked up on. I think the visual, like there's a lot of things going on visually that there's either kind of dramatic irony or what's the reverse of dramatic irony? Where the characters know something and you don't. Ooh. But whatever. You know what I'm Never saying. Never been good but, at that kind of terminology. <laughs> but uh. the, There's a lot that they show you that like you know that the character doesn't see. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's, yeah. And then there's a lot that you don't see that you just understand because mm -hmm. of the way the character deals with it. Like he slips on blood and trips over several things. Right. And you never see what they are, but like you fill in those blanks. And uh -huh. yeah, it's, it, I picked up on those little clever visual things, but now that you're pointing it out, it really is, it's a film nerds movie. It's and it's, the thing that makes it such, so brilliant is that not only is Edgar Wright so skilled with like handling all of these like film grammar things, mm -hmm. but he's able to do it in a way that's not, you don't have to recognize those things in order to enjoy this movie. Like on a very surface level, this movie is still really funny and really enjoyable to watch, but it's, I've mentioned this before in other films that we've covered, it's one of those movies where the deeper you dig, there's still stuff there. Mm -hmm. It's like there's the superstructure, and then you get down to the basement, and there's like a sub-basement. It, it it, it's such a multi-layered cake of a movie that is just delicious all on its own, <laughs> even if you're not picking out each individual flavor. Okay, I'm excited to dive deeper into this metaphor yeah. as we talk. Also, what is visual rhyming? What does that mean? Okay, so visual rhyming. This is something that this is a term that I wasn't really familiar with before I started like looking into some of the uh, analysis of this movie. So, scenes that mirror each other but they're not exactly the same. Mm -hmm. So it's like you've got the um, you've, early in the film, there is a sequence where uh, Sean, title character, he walks out of his apartment. It's an unbroken shot, steady cam shot where he walks out of his apartment, opens the gate. Encounters a kid with a soccer ball, encounters oh. a kid, or encounters a homeless person, walks past a guy washing his car, goes into the convenience store, grabs a drink, pays, the and then guy. comes back mm -hmm. home. But That's, then we see all those characters again as zombies in that almost that same sequence? You see, yeah, exactly. That okay. same That's shot is replicated shortly thereafter, as in it's like the next day, which serves a couple of different purposes. One, it kind of illustrates that he's in kind of a, a, a loop 
Mm -hmm. His whole life, he's kind of in a loop. He's kind of on autopilot, just going through the motions every day. But two, it kind of sets you up for this idea that that instance of like one shot or one scene or one element being reflected later on is gonna happen throughout the entire movie. Mm -hmm. Almost everything that happens in the movie happens twice. Mm. Um, you've got the scene where we first meet Sean right after the opening credits where it starts with his feet shuffling like he's oh, a zombie okay. and it goes from floor to head and he's with yawning. Yawn. Mm -hmm. And that same shot is at the end of the movie as right. well. All these kinds of things, and, and again, there have been people who have done very long analyses mm. of this alone on YouTube that I highly recommend checking out because it really adds a lot to, this, to the experience. But that happens throughout the entire movie. Mm -hmm. um, we don't need, really need to get into all of them here, but it continues to happen throughout the entire movie and it really speaks to how precisely the screenplay was put together mm -hmm. and then how precisely it was executed. Um, screenplay, by the way, written by Edgar Wright, the director, and mm -hmm. Simon Pegg, the star, nice. um, who they are the writing pair that also wrote um, Hot Fuzz, which, they, which Simon Pegg and Nick Frost also starred in, as well as The World's End. Mm -hmm. um, so they work really well together, and I think that those three films are the best movies that Edgar Wright has done, although mm. Baby Driver, I love. Yeah. Scott Pilgrim, I think, is super underappreciated. I think it's really, mm. really good. Mm. Um, but I think those three are the best, and I think that it's their collaboration so that really works out nicely. Is Run, Fat Boy, Run one of theirs, too? Or is no, that that's just Simon Pegg, okay. yeah. Um, yeah, these, Edgar Wright has not directed a whole lot of movies. He hasn't really, yeah, he really worked hasn't. on a ton. Um, but each one that he does, it's like so... I don't know. I, I, I don't want. I don't like saying perfect, mm -hmm. but it's it's so exact. Mm. It's and like I said, like the Swiss the Swiss watch metaphor. I, I'm I'm sticking with it because it is so like it's it's wound up really tightly. It's everything's exactly the way it needs to be, and it's just like it's just a precision instrument. Um, and I think that this one is a really crazy way to look at. This is the first widely released film that he ever made. Like he'd done TV directing before this. Right. He'd made a lot of films when he was younger. Um, he even made one that was technically theatrically re released, but even he says like, it's not, it's not good. Um, <laughs> doesn't count. Doesn't count. We're doesn't gonna count, count this as the first. Um, but yeah, so it's, uh, anyway, yeah. It, it, there's a lot there that like, you can unpack it if you want to, mm -hmm. but you don't have to. It's just, mm. it's, it, it's kind of like, and I'll go back to the cake metaphor again. It's like one of those cakes you see on TV that looks amazing, but you'll never really, you probably aren't gonna eat it, but mm -hmm. if you did eat it, it would be even better, right? right? It, yeah, it's, it is a good, it, I think what I really like about it, filmic stuff aside, it, it has that feeling of like, two guys just making films because they really mm -hmm. wanna make films. Mm -hmm. Like if you gave the guys who had like cameras in their backyard at you know, 12, millions of dollars when they're 30, this is exactly mm -hmm. what you get. And I don't know, I think it's, like I said, it's it's deeper than you think. I just mean emotionally deeper. Like, it easily could have just been kind of a, a joke, but it is, mm -hmm. there's, there's more heart there than I expected there yeah. to be. Mm -hmm. There's more kind of real connection and real, kind of real world stuff. It's not all just goofy. And there's more there than I, recognize the first time I watched it too because when I first saw it I was like 16 probably mm -hmm. 15 or 16 and there was more to it that than what I was than what I recognized mm -hmm. even then so like each time I would revisit it I was like picking up more and like as the years went on I was like oh yeah this is you know and now I'm 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 29 I'm the age that like Simon Pegg's character is mm -hmm. in the film as he mm -hmm. mentions when, he, when he's talking to the 29. when he asks the uh, yeah. he asks the kid oh come on 
I'm not that much grandpa. older than you. I'll keep your arrow on, Grandpa. <laughs> when he asks the guy, like, oh, you, what are you, 20, 21? He says, uh, 17. <laughs> um, 17. Which, now that I'm, <laughs> no, they're at that age, I'm like, okay, doing better than, doing better than Sean was, yeah. not a system not managing true. an electronics store. Yep. Um, but anyway, yeah. Um, so, it still, yeah, it, it stands the test of time for me. It really holds up. Um, are there specific layers that you can think of that, like, you you got at a certain time or like didn't get at I don't know the first watch um yeah sure so like honestly I didn't really think about the idea that this movie could basically just exist without the zombies altogether oh you know this is a story about a guy who is not super motivated to do anything interesting with his life and his girlfriend finally has had enough and she is very she's got a very good case to just break up with him and she does and um, he's, uh, he wants to do the classic win her back kind of a thing. And so he has to make amends. He has to make it and make the choice to make it a positive change in his life. Uh, try to amend the, uh, or try to mend the relationship that he has had, the uh, negative relationship that he has with his stepfather. Um, yeah, he has to come to terms with the, fa the fact that his best friend is holding him back in life. Um, and in the end, the only way to do all these things is to take action for himself. That's the plot of a movie on its yeah. own. Like, the fact yes. that it's, and that's why I say this is like a movie, this is a story that is grafted onto a genre. You know, this movie could exist without the zombies altogether. They would need, it would need something though, right? Like, it would need something. It would need some kind of a catalyst. In this case, the yeah. catalyst just is the, is <laughs> the zombies. zombies. I'm just trying to think, like, couldn't you distill almost any movie down to that, though, and be like, eh, you don't need this element. You just needed an element. It happened to be this. There, I think that, it, like, if this whole story had happened the weekend prior to the zombie invasion, um, it would still be, you know, it's still a story. I feel like it is still a story. Not that yeah. it, not that interesting, necessarily, kind of a rom-com cliche. Um, the, the zombies maybe aren't quite the, like, linchpin that... It didn't have it to be It would zombies. be in any other zombie movie. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, I can follow that. Um, but we'll, it could have been vampires. Could've it could have been anything. You know? It could have been anything. Um, but yeah, before we get too far down that rabbit hole, I did want to... We haven't really done this in a while, but, like, the movies to kind of pair with this oh, one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, weirdly enough, this movie had to be bumped back in its release because Zack Snyder's remake of Dawn of the Dead was released the same year and they were they were going to come out at basically the same time but the studios basically did some horse trading to get Shaun of the Dead bumped back a couple of months. Oh, that's funny. I think I vaguely remember that happening because yeah. I was like, what? What? Like, <laughs> is that a sequel? What's going on? Um, okay. But yeah, that's an interesting mm -hmm. watch back to back um, as well as like Night of the Living yeah. Dead or the original Dawn of the Dead from the mm -hmm. 70s. Um, but also, I was thinking about this being like in a weird way, and this is loose, so don't mm -hmm. hold me, hold, don't hold me to the fire on this one. But um, I was reminded; it made me think that this is has some passing similarities to Walter Mitty. Oh, okay, go on. This is an everyday guy facing a turning point in his life, which is amplified by a massive event. Mm. So it's kind of like two sides of the same coin. Walter Mitty's in a job that he really likes, but it's coming to an end. Sean's in a job that's kind of blah. But if he doesn't do something, he's going to be stuck there forever. Mm -hmm. um, they're both dealing with like kind of fantastical situations mm -hmm. that, in Walter's case, he voluntarily walks into. In Sean's case, he's kind of thrust into it. Um, but in the end, they both have to 
um, they both grow by learning how to take action. Okay, this has been your comparative film class. I, I honestly did think about our discussion about um, male fantasy fulfillment when mm -hmm. I was watching this because I, I, like, I agree with you. I think there actually is some similarities in their DNA. I, I think this one maybe addresses it even more head on, the male fantasy kind of trope yeah. of, you know, I, I, I think at times it plays into it and at times it is completely like confronting it. There's, you know, there's these moments, especially towards the end where Sean seems to be exactly what a male fantasy fulfillment mm -hmm. hero ends up being. Like he's got control of the situation. He knows yeah. like the other kind of male rival is, looks like an idiot. And at the same time, those moments tend to kind of be punctuated with Sean having no idea what to do mm -hmm. or his plan being only half-baked yeah, or something like it's that. Yeah, it's true. And, it, and definitely, I, I think that this does address and subvert a lot of those kinds of uh, cliches. And I think that's another part of what makes it really funny. And I didn't really think about it in that way until you brought this up as something you wanted to talk about. And again, this is another one of those things where I, I have to assume that this was done intentionally like yeah. like you said the male fantasy story of like the ordinary schlub successfully navigating a catastrophe mm -hmm. that's a big one yeah i mean paul that's... paul blart mall cop is that trope <laughs> but this movie it it somewhat subverts that because his plan is whack and his friend yvonne appears as a parallel version of himself who not only has her life together in oh, ways that yeah. are far beyond sean's but her clan plan is clearly a lot better right and, and that was like, so funny when they're passing each other, and it's like, and same character, same character, <laughs> yeah. same character. Everybody has the same Martin group Short of gets one minute in this movie. You're gonna use him like that. <laughs> Martin um, Short, what? Not Martin. Wait, no, oh, Freeman. Oh, Martin, Martin Freeman. Freeman. I was gonna say, wait a minute, hold on. <laughs> yep, no, Martin Freeman gets one minute. Yeah. Was that like before he was really famous? Probably. I yeah. mean, it would have been the Office days. Yeah, he would have been on the British Office at this time. Yeah. Just kind of a hit, right? But yeah, yeah he gets like one minute in this mm -hmm, movie. Mm -hmm. But I, I really enjoyed that. Also, the idea of like the lovable loser winning back his girlfriend after quote unquote proving himself, mm -hmm. which this one kind of plays it straight. Yeah, yeah, because she has a moment of like, oh, you think this, that's it then? Like, uh -huh. nothing's changed for me. And but then you're like, oh, but like, no, obviously she's yeah, yeah, she's going back. But yeah, that's where I'm saying I think it it doesn't always fully subvert them. Some no, of them it uh -uh. chooses to kind of play along with, mm -hmm. but. Yeah, Whatever. and it's interesting because like the, and this is something that was brought up in um, my personal favorite of the YouTube essays about this movie is uh, from a channel called Mikey Loves Movies, which is oh, great. Yes. You have suggested this oh, I'm sorry, before. Movies, with, movies with Mikey, don't, sorry. Yeah, your Doug movies Loves with Movies with, keeps getting God, I know, I, I keep, <laughs> Movies with Mikey. Anyway, but what he brings up is that Liz is never trying to tell Sean, like, you need to get rid of this loser that's in your His life. Friend? Yeah, he's oh. never she never talks about Ed as like, oh, you need to get rid of this loser. That's what the roommate Pete oh, says, mm -hmm. like, you know, sort your life out, blah blah. blah. But mm -hmm. Liz is never saying like you need to just like this guy's holding you back. This friend of yours is 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 like an anchor around your neck. All she really wants is for him to be more proactive in his own life and more proactive in their relationship, never making him like choose or anything like that, which again is kind of that's more of the the, the bad girlfriend cliche in mm. romantic comedies or whatever, but like right. she's pretty reasonable. She's never like, all she, her biggest complaint, which is totally valid, is that like we are in a loop and we're not doing anything. Yeah. You're not changing anything. You're comfortable and complacent in your life. And so one of the things I was thinking of was like, yeah, Sean, 
sort of gets to have his cake and eat it too, have like the nice life with his girlfriend and also have his video game buddy on hand whenever he wants, but really... <laughs> the dream I, life, to have your friend as a zombie in the shed <laughs> and then your girlfriend living with you. Um, but yeah, it's really, I, I see that as being more about balance in his mm -hmm. life. It's like you don't always have to choose who to keep in your life and who to get rid of, but you have to choose where your priorities are. And so mm -hmm. I think by the end of the movie, he's made a positive change in choosing his priorities. Yeah, because I was kind of confused at the end. I was thinking action was going to take more of a part in mm -hmm. thesis. But then at the end, he's kind of like, oh, like, what are we going to do? And she's like, oh, I'm going to go to work, what, make a roast. Mm -hmm sit and watch TV or something like her list of things that they're going to do that day was like not that didn't seem no. that much more action filled than their life yeah. before so I that that makes more sense as kind of a a summarizing thought mm -hmm. that it's the balance rather than the action right yeah and it's less about what he wants to do which is apparently nothing <laughs> go to the Winchester and it's more about you know what are we going to do it's like, instead of just defaulting to just, you know, oh, I guess we're, we're obviously going to go to the pub because that's what we do every night. Um, yep. <laughs> how I Met Your Mother. Um, but Every sitcom. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. Yeah, of course. Um, but yeah, that's what I found interesting. So I don't know if that necessarily subverts a uh, romantic comedy cliche or the male fantasy fulfillment cliche as much as in this particular case, I, I think it, I definitely see it as more of, you know, Finding that balance and having the healthy relationship with balance between like still not really living, they're not radically changing their lives, but they're more meshed with what they're choosing to do with their time. Mm -hmm. That's fair. Uh, I felt kind of bad for Nick Frost at the end. I was like, would you keep him alive? Like, what what kind of quality of life is that? <laughs> Just, it's funny. I guess it's maybe not that different. Maybe is the point than right. the life he was leading before, but I don't know. Is it humane? I'm just asking the question. <laughs> it's not for me to judge. So um, Nick Frost was at DragonCon this year, and oh, I went cool. to a panel discussion with him, and he is a delight. He's a oh, lovely man. Um, he's a great talker. He loves the fans. Um, and somebody asked him, uh, this, I'm, I'm shoehorning this in here because I don't really have anywhere else to bring it up. Um, Obviously, he was asking questions about, like, Shaun of the Dead and stuff like that. And somebody asked, in general, about working with uh, Edgar Wright, how much improv is on set. And he said, none. He said, absolutely none. Because Edgar is such a precise writer and mm -hmm. a precise director. He might ask you to kind of change something up a little bit. But for the most part, he knows exactly in his head how he wants every single scene to play out. He knows every... He said, every line that's delivered, it's on the page. If you make something up... You can, you know, he might go for it, but it's not like the Judd Apatow thing where it's like, okay, we'll Just do we'll it. do thirty mm -hmm. takes, mm -hmm. and if one of them slays, that's the one we're gonna go with. Mm -hmm. He says, no, no, no. He knows what's funny. He already knows in his head what's funny. Um, uh, however, <laughs> unrelated to that, but what he said was that this character of Ed was very much based on Nick himself when he and Simon Pegg were roommates uh, when they were younger and oh, and roommates no. and. Uh, and uh, Simon was going out for acting gigs while uh, Nick was still waiting tables, <laughs> things like that. Oh. So he said this character was so much based on himself that it wasn't even funny. Oh man, I wonder how much like sign off he had on that, or when he read the <laughs> script and they were like, "Yeah, we really want you to play this part." And he was like, "Are you serious? <laughs> That's mean." Oh, that is sweet. I'm glad he's nice in real life. Oh yeah, he seems so sweet. Yeah, he's a cool guy. He's a. Um, 
He's the, when I was going to, I was making a list of like, okay, where else would you know these people from? So Edgar Wright, Hot Fuzz, Scott Pilgrim, World's End, Baby Mm -hmm. Driver, Simon Pegg, Hot Fuzz, World's End, also Star Trek, Mission Impossible Now, uh, Ready Player One, Mm -hmm. and then Nick Frost is pretty much Hot Fuzz, The World's End, a couple of very, very, very small movies, and uh, the TV show Into the Badlands, which I have not seen. only second season? Okay, I've seen season one. Okay. And I don't remember him being in that. <laughs> okay. But maybe he comes in in a later season. I, I I'm not sure. I haven't it, watched so. it. Um, but yeah, like I say, he is openly copped to being just like Ed in this movie when he was roommates with Simon Pegg, which I found interesting, if nothing else. Uh, that's. I wonder what he's like now. Like now that he's successful, is that? No, he's got a couple of kids. He's doing or? all right. He's a. Uh, He's, he's, he's an interesting person to follow on Instagram because he doesn't post that often, but when he does, it's like, yeah, this guy seems like he's got his life together, even though he's almost 50 years old and just got a, a sneaker tattoo on his forearm. Nice. You know what? <laughs> What's it going to do? Get him less jobs? He's fine. <laughs> he's a cool guy. Um, but yeah, I mean, as far as on the topic of like male fantasy fulfillment movie, was there anything else that jumped out at you? Like how it played, how this movie kind of played into those kind of tropes, how it, may have complicated some of those existing tropes. Because, I, I mean, like I said, I hadn't really thought about this until you brought it up. Mm-hmm. I think the um, the use of his mother and stepfather in this is kind of uncommon. I feel like in this hero's journey, there's not a lot of... This clearly was like a hero's journey from boyhood mm-hmm. to... There was, there was growing up happening, not just like kind of moving from inaction to action. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought, yeah, that was... That was interesting. Kind of his relationship with his mom felt not... I didn't feel like they were overly playing into any tropes with that. It mm-hmm. wasn't like, oh, mom. And it wasn't like the, like, Pickle. he turns into... Yeah, like, it's sweet, <laughs> but it's not overly like, okay, he just wants his mom to do everything for him. It, I feel like there's a lot of traps you can fall into when you bring a mom into a story, especially, like, that mom-son dynamic. Can be a kind of failure to launch thing, or a like overly like I don't know antagonistic kind of thing. But it it felt very real, and I thought that was a, also a really good way to kind of tell the story of the changes he was going mm-hmm. through. Also, Bill Nye is just a delight always. Yeah, so. they, didn't uh, Bill Nye and uh, oh god, I cannot remember the name of the actress who plays Barbara, but like oh, yeah, she's they... like from. Uh, uh, Downton Abbey and like all kinds of stuff. But didn't they also play a married couple in Best Exotic Marigold Hotel? Oh, they might have. I think yeah, they did. Yeah, she was in that one. He was in that one. <laughs> Were they married? Hard to say. Um, also, the guy who played Pete was named Peter. Was yeah, Peter that... Serafanowitz, yeah. Who was also, by the way, he doesn't get to do anything funny in this movie, but he is hilarious. How do I know him? He, he played so He played the, the um, English aristocrat in uh, Parks and Recreation who made instant best friends with Andy Dwyer. Oh, that's totally it. That's adorable. Oh, and he's in Spy. I love that movie. Uh, that's funny. But okay. he is hysterical. He, can definitely, he could definitely carry a movie, a comedy movie, on his back with no problems. Like, I think he's, he's absolutely hilarious. Gotcha. Uh, that's, yeah. They had so many people in here, and a lot of those, like, kind of, that guy, British actors, mm-hmm, a la mm-hmm. Martin Freeman. Mm-hmm. Um, the, yeah, not, none of them got all that much time in the movie, right. but besides, obviously. They probably had Simon each person Pig. for like a day. Yeah, like. they were like, you know, just whatever. All right, now you're a zombie and they kill you. Okay, moving on. You're so, going to be naked for every scene after this point. It's funny that you mentioned that because uh, one of the things I found out today when I was doing my pre-show research, which, mm-hmm. yes, I do pre-show research, Nerd. brag. Um, but... Um, 
apparently what they did back in uh, like 99, 2000, Edgar Wright, Simon Pegg, Nick Frost, and um, Jessica Stevenson, uh, who played Yvonne, the friend, mm -hmm. they all worked on a sitcom called Spaced, which oh. I'm a fan of. It's not Sounds for everybody. Familiar. But Edgar Wright directed every episode. He and uh, Simon Pegg wrote, wrote every episode together, um, along with Jessica Stevenson. And again, it's, it's for diehard fans of these movies only, I think. Like, if you're not a super into it, then it's probably not going to be for you. But um, that show was really popular in the UK, and when they were making this movie, they went onto fan message boards and recruited extras to play zombies from the spaced fan boards. That is cute. Yeah. That's really nice. Yeah, some of the zombie... I noticed especially after um, the one friend, who I think is from the British office as well? Not Liz. Diane? Mm, what is she? Uh, I haven't really watched the British office that much. Okay. Um, she is like... I guess a failed actress, he calls her early on, and does a whole, like... I did uh, not call Diane a failed actress. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was a good one. Um, she, like, does a whole body workshop on teaching them how to be, <laughs> yes. like, a zombie. And I really noticed all the zombie acting after that point. I was like, okay, some of these people, not quite up to snuff. One of the but funniest scenes in the movie, funny. by the way, where mm -hmm. they're all learning how to do the zombie thing. Oh, yeah, like, that was pretty Barbara, great. that's perfect. It's like, <laughs> sorry, dear, I was miles away. <laughs> Oh, they were so good. Yeah, that was, you know, there were some funny moments, but none of them were like, ah, like Hot Fuzz, I laughed a lot more. Yeah. Doesn't mean this wasn't yeah, funny, but I feel like that just wasn't the point of this one. No, I, so yeah, I get it. I, I do laugh out loud some of the times this movie's still, like the part in that same scene we were just talking about where like, <laughs> where, Ed's, where Ed doesn't want to do it at first, and he's like, no, I'll do it on the night, and Sean says, this is the night. Yeah. And so he does it, and then... Sean tells him, like, it wasn't very good or something like that. And he says, who, who died and made you fucking king of the zombies? Yeah. And then he, like, does it. And he's like, oh, actually, that's that pretty, is pretty good. good. <laughs> <laughs> that part gets yeah. me every time. That's but pretty cute. Again, and all these things kind of that we've been talking about really feed into this, this film being a prime example of elevated genre, which is a term mm. that I think we're hearing more and more often these days, especially with movies like Wonder Woman or It Follows or mm. other movies that are that fall into kind of when and again not everyone is as into like these kinds of uh industry terms but like uh genre films in general kind of refer to things that can be categorized as like western horror mm -hmm. uh uh sci-fi sci yeah anyway mm -hmm. so movies that like you can kind of describe them by describing what their genre is so like mm -hmm. drama not necessarily action sort of maybe but like the, that was the funniest part of the movie, was the action, like, uh, for all the precision, like, those action, just them hitting things, and they have to destroy the brain or remove the head, but they're doing that by, like, throwing vinyl yes. CDs and hitting them with cricket bats uh, and stuff, like, <laughs> not very, they, like, hit them in the shoulder sometimes. Yeah, like, yeah. All right, you didn't also, get some them. Also, some, those, some of those dome hits with the cricket bat were very soft, like, yeah, very, very gentle. Yeah, a lot of very soft hits and not quite hitting the head. yeah. Um, but anyway, when we talk about, so we talk about genre films being like those kind of films, but elevated genre, again, we're talking about movies that kind of take these genre, genre formulas that are really common, that are kind of, I guess, kind of considered low art sort of movies, mm. um, but doing 
interesting things with them that kind of put them on the level. A, a great example would be Mad Max Fury Road. That is elevated mm -hmm. genre for sure. That's like a post-apocalyptic action movie. That alone could be all it is, but it had complex themes, interesting characters, beautiful great visuals. structure, beautiful mm -hmm. visuals, all this stuff. Like it's genre films, like kind of taking a low rent type of movie and doing something really great with it. So mm -hmm. when we talk about elevated genre, that's what we're talking about. I think that this is a great example of it. Um, it's a horror comedy. Mm -hmm. It's not really a spoof or a parody. I feel like it gets called that a lot, but it's yeah. like, it doesn't really make fun of the genre of horror movies or it doesn't really make fun of zombie movies as much as it's just a funny movie with zombies mm -hmm. slash a sometimes actually scary movie with comedic elements. Like mm -hmm. the moment where Sean finds zombie Pete in the bathroom. Oh yeah. That's kind of that scary. scary. When the hand shoots out and mm -hmm. starts backing him into the corner, that's pretty scary. Later on in the movie, when he's flipping breakers and the light comes on and there's just a bunch of zombies uh, outside the window. The light. Yeah. That's when he first does it and you see that they're all out there. It's like, it kind of sends chills down my back <laughs> now when I see it. And then he flips off the light and goes over, pulls down the shade and yeah. <laughs> like it's going to do anything. Oh. And the Pete one was a classic, like push the mirror or mm -hmm. like close a mirrored cabinet door mm -hmm. and it's like behind you. Mm -hmm. but, and again, yeah, that, that rhymes with the earlier one where living yeah. Pete is, yeah, again, we don't have to gotcha. break them all down, but it does happen a ton. Um, but yeah, like again, it's really a comedy and a horror movie mushed together into something that kind of works on the best elements of each type of movie and creates something interesting with it. Mm -hmm. um, and by adding these different themes, like you mentioned earlier, the growing up theme is really big. Mm -hmm. um, you know, taking this idea that your deadbeat friends may have a place in your life, but you have to, you know, pick your priorities. Mm -hmm. um, and also the idea of like, you know, trying to work, working towards a healthy relationship with his, uh, with his family, with his girlfriend, with his roommate, all those kind of things, like trying to build toward having a healthy relationship with each of these different people in his life. And the catalyst for that is what? It's a zombie attack, <laughs> you know? Sometimes it takes zombies to bring you together. Right, yeah. Um, and I was curious if, like, you noticed any of that while you were watching it. I mean, it's, it's again, you, th you hear, like, a zombie comedy. You're kind of picturing a very specific type of movie in, in your head. Like, it's yeah. not, you're not really expecting it to be good in any appreciable way. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I guess I knew this was going to be good because of the the hype, but... Even from, I think, the pitch last episode, I was definitely expecting more spoof. Mm. And that's an, another minor surprise from kind of expectations was I didn't, he really doesn't play off of that genre too much. Like, it's not, he's not trying to make any points about the zombie genre. It just mm -hmm. is a funny movie with zombies. Um, yeah, I, like I said, the themes were deeper than I expected them to be. The whole, like, growing up thing. And the way they kind of carried it through, like he does a good job, I think part of all this like visual rhyming and the, the parallels that he creates visually, also in the story of like, you know, you he sets things up really well and balances them so that he can mm. have these layers. Like the family thing is never, it's not like the whole problem was Sean is too devoted to his mom and he hates his stepdad mm -hmm. and that's why, you know, Liz isn't into it. But like there, it's intertwined, like all these different threads work together well to make like an actual, an actual kind of human experience, like a, a story that's not just like 
easy, easily traceable. There's mm -hmm. multiple things happening and getting resolved at different times. Um, yeah, and that's, that's more elevated, I guess, than I would have really expected this, just knowing it from you know the posters and the Edgar Wright fan club. So. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I think that by combining these different genres together into something new and unique, I think that it opens up a lot of possibilities, like where the intersections are mm -hmm. with these different genres. And I think that a lot of directors that try to make movies that combine genres, they, can, they, they look for those moments, but I don't think they're usually as successful as Edgar Wright is here. Mm -hmm. Like he really is able to make the, turn, make the tone turn on a dime. Mm. And I think one of the best examples of that is, you know, there's a scene where they've got, they've got the entire group together. They've just picked up uh, Sean's mom and stepdad. Mm -hmm. um, and they're in the car together. And I, I can't remember if this happens, like right when they pick up, because they go to... They Sean's go, mom's they house. They go to Sean's mom's house first, and then they go to the apartment. Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, Philip... Played by Bill Nighy is. Mm -hmm. um, is it Bill Nighy or I thought it was Bill Nye, like Nye. Bill Nye. Uh, I could be completely wrong. I'm not really nah, sure. I might be wrong. I don't know. Um, anyway, we'll just call him Phil. So he picks <laughs> up Phil, um, from and Phil gets bit by a zombie mm -hmm. and he is dying. And there's a scene where like he and Sean are scrunched up next to each other in the oh. backseat of this car, and he tells this he, he's basically using his dying breaths to like tell Sean like I I'm sorry that. I was so hard on you, but I know that it wasn't. I know that it was it was rough on you when your dad died, and mm -hmm. you know I just wanted you to be your own person, and this, that, and the other thing. And it was very sad. And then he slips away, and Sean's crying, and he's trying to tell his mom that Phil just died, and she says, she she turns around, and is like, no, he isn't. He's not dead. Oh and then, yeah, that was and so then, funny. So it was like really sad, and then she turns around. No, he's not dead. And then you see that he's just turned into a zombie. Yeah. And then on top of that, they're trapped in the back seat because the child locks are on. Oh like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that makes it even. It's so good. Like it's they set that up as a joke, and mm -hmm. then that becomes the setup. Then that joke's punchline. Like he can't get out because he's got the child locks on. Mm -hmm. And then so that punchline becomes the setup for another joke later on that is shifting the mood a total 180 from what it was 10 seconds ago. So it's like, it's this is what I mean when I was using that switch, Swiss watch analogy. It's like there's so many things happening that depend on everything that happened before. It's, it's, it's so mathematically flawless. It, it's, 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 I've never seen a movie like this before. Yeah, that is totally fair. I think that it's amazing the range it achieves as well. Mm. Like how hard you can feel that moment with Philip and um, Sean, like, that was, that was tragic. That was, mm -hmm. you know, I was like tearing up. And then, yeah, and it becomes funny so quickly. I mean, it's amazing that both those moments can happen in the same movie in general. Yep. And then even like there's a pretty dark moment towards the end where they're trapped in with the zombies mm -hmm. and they have two bullets left and three people and what are you going to do? And yep. they're like, well, we're not thinking about the zombies. Like there's some really like heavy moments that you feel to like the extent that I think they want you to feel but then it's still like, yeah, it, you can still have that kind of silliness and stuff again within the same hour and a half as well as within the same 15 seconds. Absolutely. And there are movies that, will, that can attempt to do that, but like there are movies that wouldn't be able to bounce back 
from just one of those heavy moments and mm -hmm. bring back the levity in the way that this movie does. And I think that this is really a testament to Edgar Wright's skill as a director, as mm -hmm. a testament to his and Simon Pegg's skills as writers, um, to be able to put this in the script and then execute on the level that they do. Um, because it all feels very like, that's another thing about it. It's like a lot of times when you hear about like screenwriting tips or like even from everyday movie watchers, like, oh, this person does something that I would never do. Mm -hmm. I don't really get that in this film because I feel like every move that the characters make is believable for the characters that are set up. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like yeah, the plan. The, the plan is not superhuman. The plan kind of sucks. The plan is not good. And I love the fact that when they're. This is one of the things that. One of the little things that I love is that um, when they're. When Sean and Ed are formulating what their plan is, the first version, you see it kind of like yeah. cartoon style played out as it's being narrated in a short form. And it ends with them having a cup of tea. And on Sean's mug it says i'm a genius i'm a genius i'm a genius i'm a genius and then oh they say my oh gosh, I that. they're like oh no that's not gonna work we have to do no we can't bring him back here we have to go someplace else and so his next version of the plan is go to liz's house mm -hmm. and then we see that play out and in that version his mug says cool 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 um, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, I like that, that sequence. I totally missed that. That's one of those things that I would pick up on like the third watch. But I like that sequence of like shorter and shorter every mm -hmm. time and they just kind of show the important points. And But the, the whole point that I was trying to make with that just was that the, the plan is garbage. The plan yeah. is not good at all. Like stay in Liz's house. Stay in Liz's house. It's like on the fourth floor. Yeah. They're clearly doing fine. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I wasn't totally sure why they left at all. Like I didn't, it didn't take me out of the movie. I didn't think it was unrealistic for those characters to have left, but I was like, why would you even leave? Like, you're, they're out, I guess they were breaking in, but it's like, they're gonna break in anywhere. The Where are you gonna go? The logic uh, the, uh, that they present was that, oh yeah, it's got big heavy doors. And I think that that's hilarious. That's a very subtle joke by the end because yes, it does have huge heavy doors. It also has floor to ceiling windows, yeah. which are very easy to break. Yeah. <laughs> but yes. that's, anyway, but like I say, it's a classic, just like not very well thought out plan, but mm -hmm. it's one they came up with in five minutes. Yeah. And I thought that that makes, that adds a certain level of credibility to it because it's the kind of plan people would think they're like, no, no, no. We went through three drafts of this plan. This is the third draft. It's the good draft. Yeah. No, not true. And it is very like, I, I, yeah, I liked, I think the best, the thing that I kept pulling out of this was the, like, that male fantasy thing. And like, mm -hmm. that is so, like, the, the schlub that just somehow creates a brilliant plan under mm -hmm. pressure and stuff. And this was just so much more realistic. Like, no, you don't know what you're doing. The you never knew what you were doing. The smart plan was the second version of the plan. And then they skip past it because Ed wants to be able to smoke. Yeah. That's really the main reason yes. why they skip past this it. Why you could never survive with two men in charge. It wouldn't work. I cannot tell you how many times my friend, my good friend Joey and I, the ones that bonded over this, as well as our third friend Bill, after seeing this movie and several other zombie movies when we were in high school, had so many different versions of like zombie contingency plans uh -huh. mm -hmm. that involved you know, boats, army forts, gun shops, everything. Like, where are we going to get <laughs> zip ties and beef jerky and all that kind of stuff? Um, we had many, many versions Zombie of that preppers. plan. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, again, it, it, uh, the fact that, you know, the, it, le it adds a level of believability, and especially that David and Di, who mm -hmm. uh, in the commentary for this movie, highly recommend, uh, the DVD commentary, oh. uh, Edgar Wright refers to as Harry Potter and Britney Spears. <laughs> That's fair. That is, yeah. <laughs> 
Aesthetically accurate. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the fact that they decide to go along also instead of just staying in the apartment is, again, it's like, it, it makes sense because it doesn't make any sense. Like, it, yeah. it makes sense for the characters because it is a totally human, like, well, I'm not staying here by myself, even right. though that makes the most logical sense. Yeah, the uh, pressure of the moment. Yeah, like, that's, I think that's the most unrealistic thing about any of, any of the movies that this is kind of taking off of is, like, you would never make good decisions completely <laughs> unprepared in a stressful situation like it's, this. Like, you couldn't even think about it. The believability, I think, of the whole movie is enhanced by the fact that it's just, like, it really nails just, like, human stupidity in the face of chaos, you know what I mean? It's like, people... Yes. When people are faced by, like, immediate danger, it's like, what do they do? Probably scramble and die, like, in yeah. reality. <laughs> Anyhow. Um... But, uh, yeah, so as we kind of are getting toward wrapping up here, did you have any kind of favorite scenes or characters or moments that stood out in your mind? Yeah, there was a couple kind of throwaway things. I liked, at the end, the, um, the kind of TV montage that showed how mm. zombies were kind of rehabilitated more or less into <laughs> yeah. life, which I always wonder with movies like this, like, Rehabilitation is never the goal. Like right. they, once people start turning into zombies, they're like, "Fuck this, shoot them, mm -hmm. they're dead." Mm -hmm. So sorry, swore on the episode. Oh no! They're, like they, you know, like they go from like, "Mom, no," to like, "Gotta kill this zombie mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. quickly." And I'm like, "What if you found out that you could cure them and you mm -hmm. just killed all these people, your family and randos? Like yeah. you have all these people on your conscience." But whatever, I guess survival, but like, uh, they got a little trigger happy a little quickly. But, and they always do. Small, um, time out, mm -hmm. small point of clarification there. I think that it was like the Dawn of the Dead, Night of the Living Dead, it's much more clearly established that these are people that have died, ceased to live. They mm. are non-living, uh, non decomposing matter, Walking Dead, same thing, it, it, and, and what has, happened is that they are basically all brainstem at this mm. point like ev like they're physically rotting they're not alive there is absolutely no opportunity for them to return to conscious conscious sentience right not every zombie Correct. movie yes, of course takes those pains like but uh yeah this definitely was one of them it was like we're not interested they're not people anymore um but yeah i liked at the end kind of because it's interesting to think about, like, okay, so after this happens, mm -hmm. like, I always think about that with, like, really disaster, like, tragic movies. Like, what are these people's lives like after the movie yeah, ends? Right. Like, it seems like a happy ending, but, like, what happens right. next? Where do they right. go? Um, and this kind of addresses that. And it's kind of funny because you're like, oh, yeah, this is just quick little snapshot one-off jokes about where they could potentially be right. fit back into society on reality shows and on, in, in service industry. the service industry. <laughs> Um, that was interesting, and uh, it just fit in nicely with something I had heard on a podcast recently about um, the, it was about, like, politics and, you know, now with midterm, midterm elections coming up, the social media, different, what am I trying to say? The, like, different pushes for social media to be more wary of fake news that's right. being published, mm -hmm. and one of the things they said was, like, well, the problem is, you know, sure, it's not a credible source. There's ways to see that it's fake. But if you hear something once, if someone says, like, oh, I think our example is this guy's green, like, you're going to say, no, that's crazy. That's mm -hmm. so dumb. 
But if I tell you again, and if I tell you a third time, mm -hmm. by the third time, you're going to kind of be like, is the sky green? Yeah. I felt like that with the dogs looking up thing. <laughs> oh, yes. The first time. So he's like, dogs can't look up. And I was like, that's the dumbest thing ever. How can he believe that dogs are? Like, I can picture a dog Big looking Al up says in so. my head. <laughs> yeah. And then by the last time, I was like, dang, can dogs not look up? So... <laughs> Funny story about that. That was not a rumor until this movie came out. And now, if you go on like Google and type in "can dogs," guarantee the first thing that'll come into autofill is "can dogs look up." Spoiler dogs. alert: They can. Yeah, yeah. I just thought that was really funny because it was like just so on topic for these very serious times, but also. Can dogs, dogs look, look up? up? I, I they definitely can. Like hundred percent. Big Al they also can. says that dogs can't look up. They can't. They can't. That part when Ed says, they can't. And then when they find out the gun can shoot, and he's like, yes. okay, but dogs can look up. Yeah, that was a great moment when he pulls the dart out of his head. He's like, but oh, dogs can God. look up. Oh, that was yeah. awful. That was an excellent, excellent scene. What um, about you? Anything important that we haven't touched on? So I love the fact that, like, again, with the little details similar to, like, the the, the tea mug, there was, like, uh, the, <laughs> when he, he tells Liz, like, oh, yeah, we'll go to that place that does all the fish. When he flips through the yellow pages to find the phone number when he forgot to make the reservation, the entrance, and it's there for, like, a split second, the little ad for the place in the mm -hmm. yellow pages calls it that place that does all the fish. No, that's <laughs> funny. I saw it had like a little fish on it, but yeah, okay, yeah. that's funny. That's, uh, I, I, I also love the, uh, the to-do list that he scribbles on the refrigerator. Go around mom's, get Liz back, sort life out, all yeah. caps. Um, underline, underline, underline. Underline, yeah, exactly, falls asleep in the chair. Um, Where yeah. did his mom get the flowers? So he took them to Liz's then carries them all the way back to the Winchester where he's going to meet Ed, and he throws him in the trash. And then when David empties out the trash can to throw the trash can through the window, Barbara finds the flowers on the ground. Again, this dude's playing chess, oh not checkers. Oh, my Edgar God. Wright plays movies like chess, not checkers. That's insane. Yeah, thinking yeah. like 400 moves ahead. Um, but, yeah, it's... Um, I, I guess just in general, like, the older that I get, the more, like attuned to like filmmaking strategies and things like that that I recognize as well as just kind of like obviously like you know, life events and stuff like that mm -hmm. become a little bit more a little different than they were when I was 15 um, but you know I like the idea that this movie is uh, like I say even like I try to look at it more as like the story within the zombie movie mm -hmm. of like you know he's got the death of a step parent imparting some final wisdom followed by the death of a birth parent forcing action like that's some mm -hmm. that is complicated character motivation I oh, think yeah. that's and uh, Sean is, as a character, he's forced to go through some serious life events with a group of people surrounding him rather than in the privacy that's afforded to most of us. Like, he's got mm. people around him that he doesn't particularly like, right. that he has no direct connection to, but they're around him as he's being forced to kind of go through these things, like mm -hmm. a breakup and the death of a parent and a step-parent that, you know, things that most of us would probably prefer to have a little bit of privacy with, and he's just not afforded that. And on top of that, they're extra surrounded by basically the entirety of his London neighborhood. Yeah, um, they're all in, dead, but... Yeah, in non-human, not non-living yeah. forms. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's so much. I mean, I could I could just gush about this movie forever, but again, it's been done. Um, I, am, I do take some uh, great uh, happiness knowing that this is like 92% on Rotten Tomatoes still. Mm -hmm. um, widely respected, widely enjoyed. Again, still not my favorite Edgar Wright movie. I think that Hot Fuzz holds on to that, and I think that, again, Scott Pilgrim is 
wildly underrated, but um, different topics for a different day. Yeah. Um, but I'll have to rewatch yeah. those ones now, kind of after going through all of this. The precision thing is never something I picked up on mm -hmm. particularly because I don't have a lot of, I guess, you know, textbook knowledge of Edgar mm -hmm. Wright. I have mostly just experiential right. knowledge. So, yeah, I would be interested to go back and watch both those movies, which I've seen before, and see how it holds up. Baby Driver, I could see it more because that was maybe just in its reception, but a very, like, highly yeah. renowned movie. It was so. also very different from all of his other films. As I mean, you've seen enough of his movies to kind of figure that that's it's not as representative of his style yeah like it's there there are pieces there like it's very much his movie um but it's also it, it, i feel like that was him testing the waters in different directions than we used to which i totally mm -hmm. respect it's just not the same mm -hmm. um you at least know. those other two i'd like to see yeah yeah with this lens on for sure now. um and world's end again i think that it, I, I think that with a uh, hot fuzz and with world's end he kind of continues like, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, World's End, they're, they've become known as the Cornetto trilogy because mm. of the ice cream cone, the Cornetto, oh. that comes up as a theme, which kind of, they didn't plan it that way, it just kind of worked out that way, and that they ended up but doing it as a, as a laugh. Um, the, after the first, after Shaun came out, they they kind of said, oh yeah, this is going to be the first of a, of a Cornetto trilogy or whatever. <laughs> Um, and they had to follow through. And they did, but I think that there is a through line of all three of them about themes about growing up, changing, etc., which I think is more evident in World's End than in mm -hmm. Hot Fuzz. I think Hot Fuzz has just like a different thing going on, which yeah. I'm all about. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I, again, I don't want to get out too too derailed here as we're approaching the station, but um, do you have a three-sentence review for us? I do. <clears throat> Uh, though maybe not the funniest in the canon, this is the OG must-see for any fans of the right peg frost trifecta. It checks all the boxes, the writing is witty, the direction is clever, and the gore is too silly to be truly disturbing. Bonus points for having a real heart underneath all of that. Nice. Very good. Could not agree more. So, without further ado, what do we have to look forward to next week? So, uh, in, apropos of nothing, we're going to watch a movie about royalty. Hmm. Okay. I'm trying to think if there's any kind of real-world connection I can make to this. <laughs> no, I'm going to stick with it. Apropos of nothing. Uh, would you rather a musical or a non-musical? Ooh. We've, we haven't done a musical in a long time. Let's do a musical. We haven't. Okay. Uh, animated or live action? Mm. Live action asterisk. Live action asterisk? Yeah. Oh, let's go live action asterisk. All right. Good. Choice. This <laughs> film features one of the greatest stars, cross, cross medium stars of all time. Uh, he has been a spaceman, but in this one, he is a goblin king surrounded uh. by some Jim Henson puppet goblins. Awesome. Kay, have you seen The Labyrinth? I have not, shockingly mm -hmm. enough. Shocking. It is excellent. I can't wait. This is another great October Good. streak movie. We are on a roll. Um, I won't say too much about it because I'm very interested to hear how you feel about it and everything you knew about it leading up to this. Fantastic. Well, I spoiler alert, what I knew about it, very little. Really? Um, I do know that this is like a widely beloved uh, favorite for a lot of people. just was not part of my childhood. Um, and one of uh, David Bowie's signature acting roles. So yes. I'm excited about that because I do like David Bowie. 
Um, so that just about wraps us up for today. I'm very excited to watch uh, Labyrinth for next week. Before we sign off, just a quick reminder that if you like what you hear on this podcast, please subscribe, rate, review us, and be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram Do for it. the latest updates on all things K Have You Seen. But until next week, my name is Kyle. I'm Kari. And we'll see you later. Bye.